Welcome to the Denver United Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Rob Rendell. Good morning. How are you guys? Good, good. It is good to see you this morning. I'm excited to be teaching on the topic that we kicked off last week called the Jesus Way. The Jesus Way. This uh, topic is particularly um, important to me. It's close to my heart. It's something that God really began to work in me a couple years ago, and it's become a personal passion. And so I'm uber excited to teach on it. Um, and so I, wanna, I want you to share in some of that excitement. So I tell you what, this morning, if you like something I'm saying, you know, why don't you give me a little like, amen, or preach it, brother. Or one of my favorites is, mm, mm, that's good. That's good. You know, it's like you're eating a good steak or something. You know, Eddie Montoya should not be the representative of the whole congregation here. I know you've been watching us online. You've gotten used to just sitting there in your PJs and enjoying it. But hey, we're live. You're here. So if you hear something you like or God stares in you, why don't you give me a little feedback. Does that sound good? All right, let's practice all together. All together, let's say amen. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. I love it. See, you, you can do it. You know, Rob did a wonderful job kicking off this series last week. He talked about how Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Eugene Peterson on his comments on this passage said the Jesus way merged with the Jesus truth equates to the Jesus life. However, unfortunately, in our um, passion for the Jesus truth, for the morality, the ideology of Christ, we've, we've um, neglected the Jesus way. We've neglected the way in he went about in living his life so much so that our way looks more like our culture than it does that of Christ. And so what we're trying to do over the next couple of weeks is take like a thousand foot view of the four gospels um, and ask the question, what were the ways in which Jesus lived his life? How did he live his life? Not just what did he teach, which is so critically important. Not just what did he endorse? What was his ideology? But how did he go about living his life so that we might live more and more in the abundance and the joy, the peace and the love of Christ here and now on this side of heaven? And I know I want more of that in my life. I want to live with more of God's peace in my heart. Anyone else this morning? Yeah, amen. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about that. So um, in our Western culture, uh, our understanding of discipleship or being a Christian or, or Christian education, as we call it, is, is largely modeled after, after the Western world education model, which is kind of like our universities or like this today, where there's an expert up front. They've got all the knowledge. They've got all the information. And they communicate that knowledge. They communicate that information to pupils, people that are learning. They're taking in that information. So it's this knowledge transfer of the one that knows and the ones that are learning. Um, but in rabbinical culture or Jewish culture, that's um, not quite the understanding of discipleship in which Jesus and, and rabbinical culture had in the time. Um, back in Jewish culture, I, I think Jesus, when he invited people to be a disciple, had a lot more holistic and fuller understanding of what it means to be a disciple. In fact, I think it was more of, of what he would call an apprentice of Christ. In fact, they had this saying in rabbinical culture, when someone uh, chose to follow a rabbi, the saying was this, may the dust of the rabbi always be upon you. 
May the dust of the rabbi always be upon you. And it's this rich and beautiful image that to follow after a rabbi, to follow after a teacher, literally meant that you conformed your whole life in the way that you lived and the, the things that you prioritized to that of your rabbi. And you would follow them so closely that the soil, the, the, the dirt from their sandals would be upon your clothes. Isn't that a beautiful image? And so this, this is the, the, the big idea I want us to understand this morning. To follow Jesus, to apprentice ourselves to Jesus, and the Jesus way is to follow the Jesus pace. See, we can't follow the Jesus way and not follow the Jesus pace. And the practices that shape the rhythm of his life. There's this famous pastor who was persecuted and imprisoned in China named Wang McDowell. And he was recorded having this conversation with the young pastor. He said, young man, how do you walk with God? I listed off a set of disciplines such as Bible study and prayer in which he mischievously retorted, wrong answer. To walk with God, you must go at walking pace. To walk with God, you must go at walking pace. We cannot apprentice ourselves to Christ and operate at a different pace than our Savior. We cannot apprentice ourselves to Christ and operate at a different pace than our Savior because to literally to mean to be apprenticed, to be a disciple of Christ is to walk in the footsteps of our Savior, trying to model, trying to imitate the way he lives and the pace in which he lives. You know, back in college, in my undergrad, I took a history and music class. Did anyone take the generic history of music or history of art? Yeah, like you could be a med student. Dave, you took it. You're like a med student, right? And so you'd be a med student and you're still taking history of art, history of music. I actually really enjoyed it. And first of all, if you are like a musician and you're like, you, you know, got really astute ears, just know I'm probably going to offend you in the next minute or so. Um, you know, so I really enjoyed it. We learned about the composers. We learned about how music progressed. I found, found it super interesting. I love music. I love classical music. I love jazz. I love, I love all of it, most of it. Um, and so we were going through history and we got to the 1900s and, and we found out about this type of music called atonal music. Have you ever heard of atonal music? Yeah. So atonal music is music without a tone. You've all heard it because you know what? Halloween's coming. And it's like the music they play in the background of horror films, right? And so every time I hear this music, like in my living room, uh, I like run to like cover the ears and eyes of my children because they're showing the trailer for Halloween 4 in the middle of Monday Night Football, which feels like totally inappropriate for my four-year-old. And, and, and so, so that's what atonal music is. It like, it lacks tone, it lacks rhythm. It, it feels very sporadic and, and inconsistent. To me, it sounds like a, like a toddler banging random keys on a piano, you know, because I have a lot in my life because I have three children. And so um, that's what it sounds like to me. And, and it naturally produces anxiety. It produces fear. And, and that's what it's meant to do is kind of like make you a little tense and a little frenetic. And, and as I was thinking about the pace of our culture, atonal music came to mind because I think that the pace of our culture reflects very similarly to, to atonal music. We've come accustomed to this pace of our culture that is frenetic. It's hurried and disjointed. It lacks rhythm. It's driven by intent and external and internal urges. It's, it's so much like atonal music. 
Sadly, we are so driven by efficiency and proficiency or productivity and fear that our lives have so often become recklessly out of control. There is little rhythm and order to our lives that give beauty and life and purpose. Yet in the middle of this, I believe Jesus' pace stands in stark contrast to our 21st century pace. In our eternal world, Jesus acts as our metrodome. Do y'all remember what a metrodome is? Those piano lessons from the really harsh piano teacher that you took in like grade school, a metrodome. In our crazy world, without, without tone, without rhythm, without uh, rhythm that brings it beauty in life, Jesus stands in the middle of it. Trying to draw us back into a rhythm of life that will produce in our lives joy, peace, love. See, as we view the Gospels and Jesus' life from a thousand foot perspective, we'll begin to notice a cadence and a rhythm to the way he lived. You know, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was fully human and fully God. We've all heard that before, that he was fully human and fully God. And we like that idea that he was fully God. But fully human is a little bit harder for us to wrap our brain around. But this is, the, this, is, this is the reality, is that God was fully human. And not only was he fully human, but he was the fullest expression of humanity we have ever seen. And so when we look at Christ's life, we're looking at it going, man, in him we can learn how to be the best and fullest expression of a man and a woman that God created us to be. That in the way he lived, in the way he worked, in the way he lived his life. See, the more we get disconnected from the Jesus pace, the more we get disconnected from our humanness. Because in Jesus' pace, we find the fullness of our humanity. See, our culture's pace is dehumanizing. It rejects limits. It expects us to process information at the pace of the internet and have the productivity and availability of machines. It's dehumanizing and it's killing our souls. And Jesus came to show us a rhythm that has not been hidden. In fact, it, it was placed in creation from the beginning of time. Our Father God, He created creation in rhythm. In, in, in a rhythm that has seasons, that has times of productivity, that has times of, 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 of creating fruit and growing roots, and has times of dormancy and rest. And yet our modern day pace once goes so against the, the, the pace of our creation. And in the middle of it, Christ stands as an example to invite us back into our createdness, into our humanity, and he models in his life that rhythm and that pace. When you close your eyes, we're going to say a quick prayer as we go into the word this morning. And I'm going to read a prayer from, it's not a prayer, but I'm going to read it as a prayer from Matthew chapter 11. You've probably heard this before. It's really popularized right now, but it's such a great invitation. It's in the message paraphrase. Are you tired, worn out, 
burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Amen. So if you carefully observe the gospels in Jesus' life, taking notice not of just what Jesus taught, but how he lived, um, I believe you'll begin to, to, to notice something about his pace. And so I want to point out three things that stand out to me about Jesus' pace and then how we can um, foster that type of pace in our lives. And first is that Jesus was unhurried, that Jesus was unhurried in his very essence. He lived an unhurried life. Think about it this way. The first thing we see is that Jesus waits till he's 30 years old to even start his ministry. He's the savior of the world. What was he doing? Why would he waste so much time? Like, like it's not like he had anything to do, like save the world or anything, right? He, all right like, it's like, Jesus, you got these 12 disciples. They're complete boneheads. They're like wanting to call fire down on the Samaritans. Like you got, you need more time with them. They need more training. They need like 20 years of training. You're gonna give them three years. What are you thinking? Jesus, there's like, you know, there's all these people that you gotta convince that you're the Messiah. You got all, man, there's so many things we don't understand. We, we, need, to, we need like all this teaching. You, you know, you could spend 30 years teaching us how to do this Christian life because we keep screwing it up. Jesus, there's all these miracles, all these people that are sick and hurting and dying that you need to heal. What are you doing, Jesus? And yet there seems to be this relaxedness, this unhurriedness in Jesus' um, demeanor towards life. And even when he does come into ministry, what does he do? He goes in the wilderness for 40 days. It's like, come on, Jesus. I just thought we were about to get this thing going. What are you doing taking a vacation? Not eating. Not a very good vacation. <laughs> his pace and his, 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 his tempo often frustrated his brothers and his mom and his disciples. So much so was he so delayed at times that, that on his way to his dying friend, he got delayed and his friend died. Like, Jesus, it literally is a life and death matter. <laughs> and yet he felt and seemed unhurried. You notice as you read the gospels that Jesus didn't seem to be bothered by interruptions. He didn't seem to be put off by people trying to gather his attention. He didn't be like, hey, you know, I got these, I got really important things to do. You know, one of the greatest indicators of how hurried we are internally is how we respond to interruptions in our life. What do interruptions cause in your heart and mind? I know what they cause in mine. Irritability, anyone? <laughs> and yet we see a Jesus that didn't mind being interrupted that was unhurried. Dallas Willard, well noted for this, but always worth quoting, said, if you have a word to describe Jesus, what would it be? What word would you choose? Teacher, Lord, compassionate? 
many words would fit. After his friend Bill thought a while, Dallas offered his own word. And it was relaxed. There was a freedom of spirit in Jesus. A relaxedness. A lack of controllingness and anxiety. That I think so many of us desperately want. If we are to be followers of an unhurried Savior, what should our pace of life look like? Hurry is, at the end of the day, incompatible with the attributes of the abundant life. Think about it. Love. When's the last time you encountered someone that loves really well that was like hurried and rushing everywhere? Not I. How about joy? You know, those people that, not just happiness, but they're just overwhelming with this contentment and this joy in life. Were they frenetic? And of course, the last one is the most obvious, peace. When's the last time in your life that you felt and lived in the peace of God, but also uh, was rushing and overscheduled and overplanned? See, hurriedness is counterproductive to the abundant life of Christ in us. And Jesus was love. And so it's not surprising that he would move unhurried. Vincent de Paul, I love this quote, a 17th century French priest dedicated to serving the poor said this. All right, get dedicated to serving the poor. This is like Mother Teresa of his time. The one who hurries delays the things of God. The one who hurries delays the things of God. Isn't that so opposite from what we think? We think the one that doesn't hurry doesn't get anything done for God. So we better get with it. Right? I know that's been in my life, and it's so true, though. The times in my life where I've lived hurried into spaces, where I've made quick decisions, where I've made decisions out of urgency or compulsion, I look back and go, wow, I delayed the things of God. If I would have just been patient, if I would have just listened, if I would have just um, not given in to the demands of this world and followed my Jesus. See, this rushing around and this restlessness that drives our hurried lives is so much more than just a disordered schedule. A how to manage your schedule book is not going to fix this. As humans, we suffer from hurry sickness and an addiction to the speed of our lives. Have you ever noticed uh, when you actually do slow down and you clear out your schedule, how your internal lives though keep on running at a feverish pace? I think some of us experience this during COVID as things begin to shut down. Even though our lives slowed, and as they slowed, we begin to feel this internal anxiety, this immediate boredom. Or if you're like me, as soon as I sit down and things slow down, my mind just starts going with all these ideas and thoughts. It's just like, do, 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 do. And then before I know it, I'm up doing something. I'm like, what happened? No one asked me to do anything. Because it's not just an external matter. John Ortberg said it so well. He said, hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. It's a matter of our hearts. See, our pace doesn't start externally. It's rooted in our hearts. So what do we do? One, we have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. And some ways that we can do that, one, is by practicing slowing. By practicing slowing. 
And that's the cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. A couple years ago, I think I've told this story before, but it's worth telling again. Um, I had just moved into the executive pastor position. I was finishing up my master's degree and I had the bright idea of having three children um, during that period. And so I was really busy. I like had all these demands. I wanted to be like, oh, I gotta be good at my job and, and work really hard and prove myself. And, and, and so the pace, the pace of my life was moving rather quickly. And so I had these toddlers and, 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 and they, we'd go on walks with them, right? And for some reason, always on these walks, like I always wanted to get them over with and get to the end, even though walking is like the purpose. And so it's like, oh, come on, we gotta get done. Well, why? We're walking, <laughs> you know, that's the point. Um, but we go on these walks and if you've ever been on a walk with a toddler, it really reveals how hurried you are. You know, so we'd be walking along very slowly, and then they'd be like, worm. And there'd be like a dead worm on the concrete that like the ants are eating. And then we'd spend like 10 minutes doing that. And then we'd go another five inches. And, and there'd be something else, like a dandelion or, or something that they'd want to go see. And I, I remember like at first, like this like, like irritated the snot out of me. I was like, come on guys, we gotta go. We gotta go. I don't know why we gotta go, but we gotta go. We gotta get moving. We gotta finish this walk in this century. But then I began to realize, hey, this is a pace that is good for me. And I began to like take it as a blessing and allow it to slow me down. Some of the other things you can do is maybe read an old, older novel. You know, I started with like Scarlet Letter. Don't do that. It's like way too hard. I was like, oh, I don't know, is this, is this English? Um, Pride and Prejudice, that's a good one. There you go. Can't go wrong with that one. You gotta, you, you've got to have a recommendation. Oh, wow, that's a good one. Yeah, it's fantastic. Start with a slower novel. And you know, at first your soul's going to hate it, but you've got to retrain it. Listen to some classical music. Watch a slower movie. These are all things. Choose to go in the longest line at the grocery store. Some of you like, no, you had me up to that point. Jesus has left the building. I'm out of here. You got to choose to slow, to practice slowness, and it begins to slow down your internal clock. It begins to reset your rhythm in this world. Practice slowing. The second thing I know, observe about Jesus' pace is that Jesus regularly observed sacred spaces. Jesus regularly observes sacred spaces. See, when we're looking at Jesus' life, we can't forget that Jesus was Jewish. And the way he lived his life was shaped by Jewish tradition and culture. Austin Stephen Smith said this, His soul was shaped by the cadence of Sabbath keeping and seasonal festivals that were intended to help him and all people to remember God's faithfulness, protection, and provision. See, in Jewish culture, uh, there was a rich history of sacred spaces that were marked out in their lives and their days, their months, and their years. This gave them opportunities to pause, to slow down, and to not just live horizontally, but to live vertically. Times of celebration, times of worship, times of sacred remembrance. These times created in Jesus a cadence, a slowness, a living that helped him to be more present. 
See, Jesus observed and was shaped by these traditions. In Luke 2.41, we see that every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover. They prioritized this journey to Jerusalem. Then in Luke 4, Jesus made it, it says that Jesus made it a regular custom to observe the Sabbath. And then if you look at the entire gospel, you'll notice Jesus' most powerful ministry events are always marked by the beginning and end of the festivals in the, in the religious tradition seasons, like the Passover. See, we often lack these spaces for the vertical, vertical events in our lives. So much of our lives are about the horizontal. They're about moving forward, about making progress, about gaining ground that we don't have space to look up, to celebrate, to remember, to delight, to rest, and to receive the gifts of God. We need these sacred spaces. Unfortunately, our holidays have been hijacked with the same amount of hurry, pace, disjointedness, and consumerism. We lack these spaces. We need these spaces in our calendars for celebration, for remembrance and reflection. Ones that we mold and form the rest of our coming and goings around. So the challenge to you is to develop sacred spaces. Consider what in the modern day, what is the modern day equivalent might be for you to begin integrating festival times. Times of celebration, gratitude, worship, and rest. For me and my family, probably the biggest one that we've implemented is Sabbath. We practice Sabbath starting Friday nights to Saturday nights, so five to five, and we kick it off with a dinner. Right now we've got a big white candle we light, surrounded like pumpkins and gourds because it's fall. Um, we light that candle and we have a really good meal. Um, sometimes we'll go out and we'll have a really good meal there and we'll celebrate and we'll welcome in this time of, of being able to delight in the Lord, to enjoy good food, to enjoy the company of our family and friends, of being present to God and being present to one another. And that's been a, a, a sacred space in our schedule. Another one that we keep is Advent. It helps us in the middle of the crazy busyness of Christmas to slow down, to wait, to anticipate the coming of the Lord, to, to build up hopefulness again in our hearts. And that, that's one that was established by the Catholic Church in the church calendar that can be super life-giving. But they don't have to be quote-unquote spiritual. It could be as simple as, as you know, Setting up once a month time where you gather a table of friends and family and you have a great rich meal and you drink just a little bit of wine and you just enjoy each other's company and you give praise to God for his goodness in your life. Now, I had some people in the first service be like, how much is a little bit of wine? Like you're, you're asking the wrong question. <laughs> hey, I grew up charismatic. I've been thrown out of the church for saying that, so... It's a huge step for me. We need these sacred spaces. The second thing I notice about Jesus' rhythms and pace is that Jesus regularly disengaged. Jesus regularly disengaged. Luke 5.16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
Luke 9, 10, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. So they're coming back from like super uber awesome ministry time, right? And then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethesda. And these are only two examples. The whole gospel of Luke does such a great job of showing this pattern of engagement and disengagement. The gospel of Luke presents this rhythm of Jesus' life that look like this, engage and then disengage. Engage and then disengage. Luke reveals that Jesus was not always on, always producing, or always available. Jesus was God, and yet he was not always on, not always producing, or always available. Why do we think we can live differently? Why do we think we can live differently from Jesus who was not always on, always producing, and always available? He regularly disengaged to rest, to be with the Father, to observe, to listen to the pace of the Holy Spirit in his life. So often we just need that time just to disengage, to observe, to observe what's going on around us that might be producing anxiety in us. Deserve what's going on in us that might be producing anxiety coming out of us. But we don't have time. We don't have time to even observe, to watch the bird, to listen to the, the, I was going to say listen to the trees. Don't be listening to trees. To listen to the wind blow. To observe, to say what's going on around me. Jesus had this pattern. Unfortunately, we live overly connected lives. News, marketing, notifications, alerts, status updates, postings, an instant barrage of information competing for your and my attention. Most mobile phone users today check their phones up to 63 times a day. America spends 5.4 hours on average on their screens. And on average, we spend about two hours a day on social media. Guys, we have to begin to acknowledge more seriously the major threat our technology is to our spiritual, emotional, and relational health. It is wrecking your lives. It is out of control. And it is a major threat to our hearts and to our souls. And so what is the practice that I think God invites us into? To unplug regularly. To unplug regularly. What spaces can you create on a daily basis to be disengaged so that you can engage more fully in life? What are the spaces you can create where you unplug so that you can be fully plugged in more to the people around you, to the ministry happening around you? currently, right now, what spaces do you have where you're not available, where you're not informed, where you're not on? Your soul was never meant to be always producing, to be always connected. Jesus, who was God, if he chose this way, how much more do we need to follow in this rhythm? 
church, Jesus wants to invite us into a new pace of living, into a new life. He wants for us to recover our humanness. It's in us, and I think that's why this topic has grown so popular in the last couple of years is because we all know it. We want to work at a pace that's bigger than just the daily demands of our lives. We want to live at a pace that is, is grander than just those internal longings and urgings that seem to just be driving our schedules and calendars. We want to be connected to our createdness in God. And Jesus stands there and he invites us to walk at his pace so that we might restore the abundant life that we can have in Christ. So to follow Jesus in his way is to follow Jesus' pace. You can't have one without the other. To apprentice ourselves to Christ is to walk at the pace of our Savior. And so I invite you. I invite you to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, to practice slowing, to, to create sacred spaces in your days, your months, and your years, and to unplug. Your soul needs it. Your soul needs it. And so some ways that I do that in my life is, is I've gotten where I, I take my phone. Uh, my wife was not in the service, so I can lie a little bit. I sometimes take my phone and I place it in a bowl at the front door at seven o'clock and I don't pick it up till seven o'clock the next morning. And I treat it like a phone. Did you know you can actually use it as a phone? Um, I treat it like a phone. If I get a phone call, I'll go check. If I need to take it then, I'll take it. If I don't, I put it back down. I turn off my notifications. I don't check emails on Saturday. Sorry if you emailed me, I'm not responding so that I can have times where I'm unplugged, I'm disconnected, I'm not producing, so that I can connect with God, I can connect with my family, I can connect with the life-giving spirit that wants to renew me, so then I can be fully present and when I start my week. If you'll stand with me. Close your eyes. What might it look like? What might your life look different if you were to follow, truly follow an unhurried Savior? How does that challenge the way you're currently that metronome. Constantly reminding us, constantly re-inviting us to get back in step with him. I know some of you have heard this sermon before, you know this teaching, but it's so easy to get out of rhythm. So he's biting you back. Back in step with him. For some of you, you've been living at a pace you didn't even know was sucking your soul dry. And you sense him inviting you to a new way of living. And it's radical. 
what would that look like in your life this week? What's, what's one step he invites you into? He says, hey, follow me. Follow me. I've come so that you might have life and life to the fullest. And let me pray for you as you go. Lord Jesus, I know how hard it is. As our culture, our jobs, our lives are pushing at us, constantly demanding more from us to live into this. And Lord, I sense not a heavy-handedness or a, hey, what's wrong with you, but just an invitation in your gospels to come and follow you, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So God, I speak grace over everyone in this room. And Lord, they would sense and feel you inviting them afresh and anew to walk in step with you, Jesus, to learn your ways, to begin to live life more at your cadence. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today that the dust of the rabbi would always be upon them. In your name we pray. Amen. Man, isn't God good? Mm. He's so faithful and so good. And I just pray that this week you experience more of his joy and peace and love in your life as you go and have a wonderful uh, rest of your Sunday. We will see you next week. We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com.